The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is socially distanced with Paxton and Justin. And I'm going to be as non convoluted as possible about it this week. I'm just going to say who I am and then who you are. And I'm already making it convoluted. I'm Paxton. I'm Justin. There it is. That's the quickest I think we've ever done that. And by we, Yay. I mean me. <laughs> um, so so uh, let's, let's hear it for brevity, everybody. Uh, let's, let's keep hearing it for brevity for a few more <laughs> let's, seconds. Let's keep hear it going. Let's hear it for brevity for, uh, give or take, you know, 26 more minutes until we get to intermission. Wait a second. That's not how we do this. Uh, anyhow. This is the show where we talk about. Oh, I'm ruining it now. I, people know how this show works at this point. Hey, you know, it's okay. You know what they say: dragging out bits is the soul of wit. That's just has, the the rule of. Uh, yeah, come on. Has anybody ever that said before? that? Uh, I mean, at least one person has said it. Come on, Paxton, get with the program. That's true. At least one person now in the last you know, uh, eighteen seconds has said it. So <laughs> you, you're a trendsetter, Justin. Um, you are a you are the voice of our generation in terms of comedy. Whatever. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I hope that's not true. <laughs> that's, uh, you you set this up for yourself. Yeah. So we are coming back from a a, a week long hiatus, um, and uh, everything's been pretty chill for the last two weeks since we've been on air. Nothing's really gone awry in the country uh, or the world I everything's think. chill strictly metaphorically exactly exactly everyone's having a great time i've heard uh no gripes no no uh no anxieties i've picked up on none of that so far yeah, as i can tell there, there's none of none of uh, the state in which we reside looks anything like blade runner 2049 right now there's yeah. just uh yeah so uh, california is on fire and and uh, Washington and Oregon. Don't forget Washington and Oregon. Oh, yeah, that is right. Yes, they are. The entire West Coast is on fire right now. Two huh. of some of the... Uh, I don't know if there is necessarily science to back this claim up, but what I think of some of the wettest states in the country um, are currently ablaze. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, Washington, definitely, like, known for... Or at least Seattle, known for its rain. And yeah, uh, Washington, on fire. That's a, yeah, yeah I've, I've got nothing with that. Like, I, um, every, every time I look at the news, period, it's just horror. And I mean, there's a certain amount of fun absurdity uh, finding out that, like, one of, that one of these fires was caused by a gender reveal party, which again, I think is the second major fire in California to be started by a gender reveal party. I thought that the story sounded familiar. It felt Groundhog Day a little bit. This happened last year too, didn't it? 
Yeah, it did. And there is just, <laughs> when are people going to stop having these things? When are people going to like realize that like gender reveal parties are just fundamentally cursed? Like there was that one story, like I think like as sad as these ones were like apparently the, um, the explosive device that was being used to announce this baby's gender identity that's going to be assigned to it at birth uh, was like the the dad or whoever went on the internet to figure out like how to create this device and like literally created a pipe bomb <laughs> and that that ex- that killed the grandmother at this party like that i didn't even know yeah no like this was i just remember like reading about this going like that's absurd and also just immensely depressing and why is this a thing like it doesn't make sense in any way and they keep on blowing things up and they keep (laughs) lighting things on fire and as if we didn't already have like enough reasons to like seriously reconsider the way we uh, approach gender as a society. Here's another one. Stop lighting California on fire straight people, please. <laughs> just, just take a minute, stop and think about it. Uh, uh, consider if you really want to um, release a bunch of very hot smoke in the middle of the woods and then think some more about it. Yeah. Um, I, I I personally I mean my my God I I, I don't care if if you want to do a, a gender reveal of some sort uh, if that's that's your prerogative uh, but at the very least cut into a cake if you have to make a, a spectacle of it uh, the the, yeah. uh, the outdoing the like the one-upsmanship that have that has come into like viral gender reveals is. Uh, it never ceases to baffle me. I don't like. I don't get it. Honestly, like it, it is a cultural phenomenon that I just do not understand. Like I can, um, or you know, like I can, or I can understand it like ideologically. But in like the the sense of being a person who wants to who wants to have some kind of like literally explosive finale to a party, it's not a thing that registers for me. And like so, so it is. Is it like a thing like? away people try and go viral like can, can you follow ass- up on that a little bit i have to assume that it, that it has to be a, a large part of it is wanting to post it on twitter and making a thing of it i will say the one and only gender reveal that uh was a matter of spectacle that was quite satisfying to watch was the 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 uh uh watermelon being thrown to the hippo uh it's just they they had a watermelon and it had maybe it was dyed blue inside or maybe it was just a regular watermelon who knows and then they threw it to a a very i'm refraining from saying hungry hungry hippo they 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 threw it to, they threw it to a hippo that needed some nourishment and uh <laughs> and uh it, it had its had its mouth open and those those things got mighty powerful jaws and then there's an explosion of uh of pink watermelon everywhere it, it's it's mm. it's exciting People were kind of up in arms about it because there was um, there was questionability as far as like if that's humane to just throw a fruit at a hippo. But then I th- I believe especially were, a watermelon. Watermelons yeah, are heavy. I believe there was uh, I, I, who knows maybe it is, but I, I think it was cleared up by like a number of because it was like it was hosted by a zoo, and there's like a number of experts who were like, no, yeah, hippos are have no problem biting into watermelon. They bite into people fairly regularly. This is fine. 
so uh, who am I to say? I don't know. I, this is this was my take after seeing the video on Twitter a year ago, and and uh, being being very satisfied by the footage of a watermelon exploding in the maw of a hippo. I can say that much. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I can imagine that being a night a very pleasant pink mist. Uh, but uh, I guess before we get too far away from the, the point and like get into a fun conversation without earning it, uh, <laughs> California is on fire. And uh, there is... Um, the whole West Coast is on fire. Lots of people have lost their homes. Lots of people have died. I actually know a few people who have lost their homes now. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a dark time to be alive. Uh, but I mean... Do, do whatever you can to help out. There's only so much you can do um, at the beginning or at, at the beginning of the dramatic effects of a global climate catastrophe. Um, but help out organizations by donating any that you see that you see uh, as appropriate to donate to and doing good work. Um, keep uh, try and and uh, quell the split spread of misinformation as much as possible. Uh, there's only we're only we only have so much power in a situation like this right now. So I guess the biggest the biggest piece of advice is uh, from some uh, rando on a college radio station, which I'm sure you were all clamoring to hear, um, is uh, you just just be safe, I suppose. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I like I guess you know like you can donate to the Red Cross. The there's the the Wildlife Relief Fund in California. There's the Cal California Fire Foundation. Uh, I mean, like, NRDC does a lot of good work. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, whatever, whatever you can do. Um, it's bleak stuff, but, uh, God, I wish I had more of a message of optimism to throw in there. Like I, it's hard, it's hard to right now. Just be safe and, and try and find happiness and peace where you can, where you can get it, I suppose. Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't have like a packaged uh, uh, statement of optimism. Uh, yeah. it, would, it would feel dishonest to try and put together one now. No, it's, it's awful. It, it's really awful. Let's segue to something uh, a little lighter in um, the gaming industry celebrating neoconservatism. How's that sound? It's, you know, you're right. It's lighter. <laughs> like, it, it is lighter. <laughs> Still terrible. <laughs> it's it is a we we were at like a negative four and now we're at like a two and and i and there is a massive yeah. weight off my shoulders in terms of uh topics of discussion so oh, honestly yeah i'm down to talk about games being ideologically gross all day every day it's half of what we do on this show it's basically uh, my career <laughs> uh so there's some uh there's some some press regarding a uh, very, very long celebrated franchise and some press regarding a very, well, no, just two very long celebrated IPs. Um, and none of the press is very good. Although I suppose probably it depends on what outlet you're looking at. But most outlets uh, doesn't look very good. You want to you wanna sort of fill us in on what, what went down? Well, the, um, I think the, the main story that we wanted to talk about was the the controversy surrounding Tom Clancy Elite Squad, which I'll say, like, as you're introducing these, like, before, you know, 
it's hard to talk about Tom Clancy as a series because Tom Clancy is uh, in a brand, you know, like the name of an author that has become a brand that is associated with many series. That's why and, I hesitated to just say that. Yeah. Yeah. IP is um, actually a pretty appropriate term there. Yeah. So the thing that happened with Elite Squad, uh, Elite Squad is a mobile game that I frankly know very little about in terms of like what it is and how it plays plays but you know it is a it is a tom clancy uh product which is to say you know you are in control of uh some elite combat units uh of of varying varieties like this whole game's shtick seems to be that it's like a, an avenger style tom clancy universe team up where you get to be in control of Sam Fisher and also some of the uh, some of the operators from Rainbow Six Siege and uh, some like bionic looking guy who didn't seem to be from any Tom Clancy things I recognize because basically my knowledge of Tom Clancy games starts and ends with Splinter Cell and Rainbow Six. So it is a game it is a mobile game of some variety uh, in which you uh, you the player fight a fictional evil terrorist group called Umbra. And uh, Umbra. For for those of you who know Latin, um, yeah, uh, uh, has an interesting connotation. Uh huh. Um, and uh, the game seems very aware of that interesting connotation <laughs> because Umbra is a terrorist group with unknown uh, from the trailer, like unknown motivations beyond destabilizing society and discrediting world leaders. But the way they're doing this is by uh, fostering uh, disorder, by uh, taking advantage of existing, uh, like taking advantage of, I, I guess like existing kind of like frustration with the system. Basically by way of like, quote unquote, like false flag protests and utilizing social media essentially, but they actually, their, their motivations are much more sinister and, uh, and focused on, uh, uh, just general destabilization of the uh, developed world, and and boy, does that sound um, familiar to how some people are reading certain topical situations right now, in a in a very very troubling yeah, way. Yeah, and uh, speaking of and speaking of certain topical situations, the like the big sort of like moment that really got this trailer to be controversial is that the um there's a moment where you see some banners that are like pro umbra and uh on one of the banners a banner that says bring the system down is a black power fist oh i i will correct you it's not just on one banner it's plastered all over the trailer <laughs> and it is it is firmly, oh yeah, 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 yeah it is yeah, yeah. firmly associated with the villainous organization's image and branding yeah is, yeah like that's um it is the sharp edges, black power fist. Like it is, it is. Uh, there, there's no, there's no mistake in what you're looking at. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to like, uh, minim like minimalize any of that accidentally. Like it's, you know, like the the sh the, the screenshot that I'm looking at. It is incredibly prominent. Yeah, like it is. It, it is all over this trailer. It is big. It is there, and it's real gross it's just really disgusting like what kind of like how they're using that imagery or how they were using that imagery we'll get to that and the kind of narrative that they are uh, crafting for this game uh using like yeah like and the fact that they're drawing on this uh 
this imagery as a way to kind of like create this narrative. There are mm -hmm. a lot of problems, and I think the, the like the uh, but the, the use of the fist imagery is a good place to start because that has been the thing that the uh, that Ubisoft has actually responded to and taken action on, mm -hmm. which is to say they have removed the fist from the game. It should be noted, I think it could probably be pretty much inferred by our conversation here, but it should be noted that this trailer dropped last week. <laughs> this this uh, this whole, there was, there was very little room reading uh, by the, by the people at Ubisoft. And this isn't, this isn't a small indie developed game for mobile devices that, you know, is made by a, a small crack team. This is made by one of the largest AAA studios in the world. Um, and, and it, it, it's so bizarre because it reads of such tone deafness. It, it, it reeks of, of just complete, uh, a lot of people being out of touch, but when the imagery is so on the nose and so overt, you, you have to wonder, like some people behind this product knew exactly what they were doing. And how did this just slip under the radar of so many higher-ups at Ubisoft you would think would immediately say no we absolutely cannot do this that that's the biggest question to me is is how this even managed to release at any point but especially when it did I don't know how to talk about this to be honest because there's a so like the Tom Clancy like brand I mean Tom Clancy's novels are conservative the Tom Clancy games are conservative like they are games that are at their core, a, you know, they're deeply cynical celebrations of like American spec ops, basically, and like American interventionism and uh, just generally. And, and like, and you, you get these kind of like varying degrees of them being gross. Like the Splinter, like the original Splinter Cell, which I played a little bit of recently, is about like, inter like, about secretly fighting Russia or something like it's a sort of like it's a very kind of like you know detritus from the Cold War sort of like you know pointed intervention type story and then like Rainbow Six uh, Vegas which was the like the Rainbow Six series back when it was on like Xbox 360 which I also played a little bit of recently and I uh, because I forgot that it's about uh, fighting a bunch of uh, Mexican terrorists who bomb las vegas or something uh which is you know as uh absurd as it sounds i mean there's something about the way this game is like treating umbra that is like so fundamentally incoherent to me because like when you watch that trailer uh there is no sense of what umbra is actually about like the, like you said their goal is destabilization and they don't seem to have an actual ideological position outside of, you know, we want to destabilize like world governments. And so here, here's the thing about war and uh, terrorism and like international relations and all this stuff is that people do things for reasons. Like people have ideologies. There are ideas that lie behind violence most, you know, pretty much in all cases or causes. And the thing about Umbra is that Umbra seems to be this like stand in, like the way it seems to be treated is it's playing into a kind of narrative about the Black Lives Matter protests that is, I think in and of itself, a deeply uh, messed up narrative, which is this whole narrative of 
you know, the, like the other oh, protests are mostly peaceful, but then some of the, some people are coming in and they're making them violent. They're making the protesters do violence and they're misrepresenting the protest. It seems to be that like, they're like taking that narrative and extrapolating it into this like story of apparent like international intrigue. And the, the thing about, well, rather before I get to the use of the fist, because like the, the statement, like, you know, they remove the fist. And if you look at Ubisoft's statement, it seems to be like, uh, yeah, like uh, here, I'm actually, I'm going to read their statement before going on. Um, in their statement regarding the trailer and their removal of the Black, Lives, the Black Power Fist, Black Lives Matter raised fist, uh, they say, quote, imagery that appeared in the opening video sequence of Tom Clancy's Elite Squad featuring a raised fist was insensitive and harmful in both its inclusion and how it was portrayed. We have listened to and appreciate the players in the broader community who have pointed out and we apologize the raised fist imagery will be removed. So the, again, the, the problem that they identify and the problem they are responding to is the inclusion of the fist and not the larger implications of the story itself. Because the story itself is, you know, like there is, it's, I mean, it's doing the thing that the story about like protest violence already does, which is to say it, you know, it's just this really inadequate way of like talking about violence at protests. And the fact is that, you know, it's, it treats protesters as like fundamentally naive and as this sort of, you know, like basically a brainless force that can just be like, you know, guided into this, you know, like the, this evil like shadow molded, organization molded by bad actors. Yeah. Yeah. And like the thing about, you know, violence at protests is that, you know, violence, more often than not, violence breaks out due to uh, like, well, due to police, you know, mm -hmm. like due to police showing up and, you know, demonstrating and using excessive force. And then, you know, people fighting back because that's what you do. And also, and also, you know, like, I don't necessarily want to get into this debate, but then like a lot of like the, the violence at protests is violence against property. And, you know, that is frank, not, I mean, from where I stand, not the same thing as violence against people. That's mm -hmm. maybe beyond the scope of our, you know, our show here. Uh, but also like, it is just this, yeah, like it, it is, I, I think it is a, tr it is a trailer and a concept that is like so heavily playing into that stuff that like removing the fist itself, like, the use of the fist actually feels incredibly intentional. Like someone knows exactly what they're doing. And that's, I, sorry, that's what I'm ahead. saying. No, I think this all feels incredibly intentional. And that is the most surprising component of it to me is that at a time like this, a major AAA studio um, is willing to alienate such a broad uh, piece of the market by letting by letting this go down it does it does feel it there is just you there is no convincing me that everybody involved in this project was naive as to what they were doing oh yeah no because they definitely weren't and i mean yeah. I, I and I, I guess like i wonder you know like as i said like the tom clancy games have always been conservative like, like they've always been i mean like the point of bringing up uh rainbow six vegas was to demonstrate like also these games have always been kind of racist and like the the thing that happens with Rainbow Six Siege is that Siege, you know, sort of it keeps the military trappings, but then just it kind of became an Overwatch type thing where you just have a lot of mascots who are just 
kind of doing, you know, raids and defending things and like a lot of the context is gone. And so I feel like maybe I, I which feels like really incongruous with uh, this elite squad trailer and like why there's something that kind of, something that kind of hurts me, like seeing like these like various mascot characters from Siege like included in this thing. I'm like, oh yeah, this, this feels weird, but I mean, it is nice to remember that is totally what Siege is too. It's mm-hmm. totally this, you know, like it is this fantasy of being, you know, like being in a SWAT team and breaking down a door. I don't know. Like, like the, I think the thing is like, it's a, it's a ploy for relevance. It's a ploy for relevance that is in line with the like past politics of the series and of the brand. I I can't speak to, and I mean like Ubisoft, the company has been having a a few problems like beyond like the, the Tom Clancy news. Like there was the, uh, the Assassin's Creed, uh, one of the CEOs, I think, was accused of a sexual harassment and uh, let oh, go. Oh, yeah. The, oh, yeah. Ubisoft's had a, a ton yeah. of internal issues with that lately. That's been, yeah. that's been one of the biggest uh, controversies out of that company right now. I completely neglected to even think about that during this conversation. Yeah. And, and I bring that up maybe just to speak to a certain level of like internal uh, incoherence. And maybe that's it because yeah, like how this got out the door. Um, I don't know that that question of how it got out the door is just something that like I can't even hope to really have an answer on because you know I don't work there. And maybe and it might just be that you know suits are suits are just so out of touch that like the fact that this would be unacceptable isn't something that dawns on them until they have a bunch of people saying it's unacceptable. And even then, you know, like all they do is take away the imagery. Like all they're doing is taking away one signifier and hoping that in like, and letting that and like letting the controversy die with that. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, we'll see if it's, if it's a successful tactic or not. It's clearly a very, uh, an equally tone deaf response in that it is, yeah. Like it's a start. Yeah, obviously the thing that caught people's attention right out of the gate was the the fist, the imagery of the fist. Um, but it's not it's not the core of people's complaints. It is simply the most striking thing. Uh, I will say we we got to go to intermission in a second here, but I will say um, I I, uh, I think speaking of out of touch suits, um, the out of touch suits at Activision are probably uh, wiping the sweat from their brow. Uh, because they found themselves in a heap of controversy that was almost immediately swept under the rub, rug uh, by Ubisoft with this controversy um, in their uh, trailer for the new Call of Duty game, uh, Call of Duty Cold War, which uh, features a, uh, a cameo by the one, the only uh, conservative <laughs> icon, uh, Mr. Ronald Reagan, Ronnie Reagan, uh, yeah. Ronnie, good old Ronnie Riggs. Uh, yeah, who, I could I could go off about that for a while, but unfortunately I can't. No, that is a discussion for another time. But that was my point being that that was the story out of the gaming industry of like, wow, not the time or place, not the way to, not the way to represent a pretty pretty callous actor in history um, as like the the cowboy hero man but sure okay and then right as that conversation was beginning to gain steam uh ubisoft comes out and they're like hey 
Look at our 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 evil. <laughs> look at what we got. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And everyone's like, you know what? Oh, wait, look at what Ubisoft got. And now uh we'll see if anyone even cares to talk about Activision anymore or if uh Call of Duty Cold War is just gonna Call of Duty Cold War. I mean Call of Duty Cold Cold uh, Call of Duty Cold War, terrible title. It hasn't come out yet, so I'm sure like when it comes out and like when people actually know what that game is doing like fully, uh, I'm sure people will get mad again. Yeah, we'll have we'll have another chance to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. We'll we'll return to that at a later date. Uh, anyway, we're gonna take a brief intermission and we'll return shortly. Stay tuned, everybody. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Socially Distanced. I'm Justin Kiever, and with me is my co-host, Paxton Wright. And that's how it's done, Justin. That's me. That's who I am. And yeah, that, 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 is, that is a smooth, crisp, to-the-point intro. And uh, there's no need to muddy those waters. And yet every in- week, I never learn. Indeed. So this is our uh, recurring segment, Feast in the Weast, and this is where we, I'm bringing it back. It's <laughs> you, you said you would, and I'm so proud of you. We did not cover this before we, we started recording. I, I'm glad you, you pleasantly surprised me here. I just, I commit to the bit. So this is Feast in the Weast, where we talk about the media that we've been feasting on in the West, and then we just make it rhyme for the bit. Uh, and because SpongeBob is a good show. So, um, or at least it was back in the day. So, uh, yeah, this week our feaster is uh, Paxton. Paxton, what have you been playing that's been taking up your time? Well, a socially distanced resident feaster, uh, I find it important to, um, to uh, feast at any and all opportunities I get um, on, on, uh, on the medias and the pop cultures and the whatnots. Uh, and I've been, I've, been ta- I've been feasting a whole lot these last two weeks. There's a number of uh shows movies games i could talk about um but the one that has pretty much been most prevalently on my mind the one that's pretty much uh, uh taken most of my attention as it uh usually does because it's, it's something i have i have uh, experienced many a time is uh 1999's? i didn't bring the, the year into this i don't remember 1999 uh legend of zelda the majora's mask on uh majora's mask on the n64 um you have the date uh april 27 uh 2000 2000 mm-hmm. wild well now i feel like a clown my god uh yeah it was, it was 99 basically um but uh <laughs> <laughs> that that game is is one that i have replayed a number of times over the years and every single time i play it uh we get farther and farther away from the the days of really early 3D uh, gaming and like the jank of it becomes more and more noticeable in terms of the actual gameplay, but the actual nuance of its story and its just pure art direction, it, it grows on me more and more every time. The older I get, the more I appreciate it. Justin, you've never played Majora's Mask, right? 
No, I never have. I only I only know vaguely of it by reputation. Like my past with the Zelda games is like the only one I've played uh, for any extended period of time was Link to the Past, which I played on an emulator. I've never actually owned a Nintendo console ever in my life. And I've played uh, a bit of the original and I played some of Wind Waker at a friend's house. Uh, I played a little bit of Breath of the Wild at a friend's house. You know, it's like, it's been like the, my, that has been the series that I've played at a friend's house pretty much all through my life. So I've never played any of Majora's Mask, but I know a lot of people really love Majora's Mask. And I have only the vaguest sense as to why. And I love, so when I Googled Majora's Mask to look up the release date, uh, the the first question under people also ask is my first question to you, Paxton. <laughs> what does Majora's Mask do? <laughs> um, the, the mask like, what itself. What a great question. Yeah, that, like, that, is, that is not the question I was expecting to be, uh, to be met with. Um, so I need, to, I need to cogitate on that one for a second. But I guess if we're talking about what the physical mask does, um, it is a sort of physical manifestation of pure evil and cruelty that is created by an ancient cult uh and it possesses whoever the wearer of the mask is and basically forces them to act out the worst and most diabolical sides of their personality so in the actual game majora's mask the wearer is uh known as the skull kid um, and in the in Zelda lore, particularly those on the N64, um, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, the Skull Kids are basically a peace-loving but like kind of mischievous race of children that uh, it's when children get lost in the woods, they sort of transform into Skull Kids and they become sort of their own race entirely. Uh, they're just kind of, they're kind of like, they look like little scarecrows almost. Um, but they're generally peace-loving kids that, you know, they might uh, act like rapscallions and hooligans a little bit, but they're ultimately good kids that sort of have their own culture um, and uh, uh, way of life around one another. Um, and so Majora's Mask focuses on uh, this one skull kid who happens upon the mask, uh, and that mask causes him to sort of act out on his most... Um, deep-seated aggressions and sort of uh, uh, inclinations toward chaos, uh, which then results in this child uh, uh, casting a spell on the moon and bringing the moon hurtling down towards the land of Termina, which is where uh, Majora's Mask is set. And over the, cor over the course of uh, three days, this moon has developed a uh, sort of demonic looking face with big bright red eyes and gnashing teeth and is slowly plummeting down towards earth and it is a very very morbid and frankly just depressing game that focuses on uh, uh, human beings relationships with death and uh, the apocalypse it is a game that is truly about the apocalypse and it's rated E for everyone, baby. Uh, <laughs> it is, it is this, I think one of the things that has been the most, it's one of the most uh, striking things about the game and kind of most disconcerting is it is a game that despite being a sort of fantastical, almost like studio Ghibli like film 
about people in an, in a uh, in a sort of uh, ancient fun fantasy world um, with you know, elves and and all sorts of fun fantastical creatures. Um, it is a game that is really largely about um, how humans react to impending doom and impending disaster. Uh, it is a it is a game that you the the most appealing parts of the game are going around and talking to people and seeing how they're reacting to this giant evil possessed moon hurtling down towards earth and how some people react with total fear and hopelessness and and uh are in pure dis- are just purely distraught how some people are trying to think of escape plans or plans to rally and help others, how some people are in pure denial that the moon is coming down at all. And, uh, and, 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 there, and that it's like kind of all a big, I guess you could say that media hoax a little bit. <laughs> um, and, and there is, people are also in their different camps and there's a game that is kind of about uh, how even in the face of disasters, human beings and in this case human beings zoras gorons deku scrubs all these weird different little fantasy races um but it's still a game about conscious beings you conscious conscious beings yes uh how they uh how they react to the looming threat of impending destruction and how uh uh it is kind of a game that is about how even though unity should be the only option and the only response that people have people tend not to unify and maybe maybe they do they unify in small little social clusters um which is seen in one of the game's side quests probably the best part of the game which is considered the uh, labeled the cafe and anju side quest i won't get into the specifics on that maybe just yet basically that that is that is a a side quest that is all about uh, facing death um and and doing it in a very small but loving tight-knit social circle um when when the when the world itself doesn't really care about you at the end of the world like how people gravitate towards the few people in their lives who do care and like i said rated e for everyone (laughs) on the nintendo 64 i mean uh, I gotta say, a, uh, a story about uh, existential threats to the entire world that people uh, completely fail to unify in the face of doesn't sound relevant at all. No, to, uh, real life. Just, no, it's like, been... not anything like what we're going through. It's provided uh, perfect escapism uh, from these tumultuous times we're living in right now. <laughs> um... Yeah. Um... So yeah, no, like already that sounds incredibly interesting, and on and something that's deeply unlike uh, a lot of the or pretty much all of the Zelda games that I've played I mean both in terms of like the the seriousness of the content but also like the the nature of what's pleasurable about it because put it this way I don't play Zelda games to talk to people like I've never found uh, that's never been what I go to any Zelda game for is like the dialogue or the the characters beyond like the perhaps pleasing aesthetics of the characters like i enjoy the cartoony people in wind waker but you know i don't enjoy what they have to say necessarily uh so yeah like that's already very interesting but i guess like when i pose the question what does majora's mask do i also mean like um what does it do formally that's interesting because like i have this i have some perception of it 
having some kind of time loop structure or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that is that's a really key. That is the key component of of the game. The the game's uh, that, that's its core gameplay loop. And I completely failed to mention that in my explanation of the game. That's okay. Um, we have more time to talk about exactly. it. Exactly. So. That's why that's why we're here. Uh, but but uh, uh, yeah. So I think the reason I love it so much. I think the reason a lot of people like myself love it so much the reason it's so divisive, the reason a lot of people hate the game too, is because it is such a weird diversion from the typical uh, uh, Zelda formula. And in a not, not nearly as accessible a manner as like Breath of the Wild's diversions from that formula were. It, it is, mm-hmm. it, it is in a very daunting uh, respect. And, and, and one of the key reasons for that being the, it's core gameplay mechanic, which is, uh, the the time loop system. It's basically a Groundhog Day video game. Um, as I said, the moon has three days before it crashes towards Earth, um, and you are literally playing through a three-day day and night cycle. Um, you have 72 hours uh, before the end of the world, and that's mm-hmm. in-game. That translates to roughly about 45 minutes. There's um, there's uh, there's tactics you can learn in order to like stretch that time out to more like two and a half to three hours, um, so mm. it's it's not as daunting an experience. But yeah, the actual in-game clock runs about forty-five minutes before the world ends. Um, so you have whatever you have to do um, for a set period of time. You have to do it within those three days, uh, and you have your ocarina of time is the little instrument that you play, which is from the ocarina of time probably the most successful zelda game ever um and uh whenever you're ready to go back to the dawn of the first day you play the song of time and it takes you back to the beginning of the first day uh the reason that mechanic is both interesting despite how frustrating it is it's it's frustrating for obvious reasons um to to know that you have a set amount of time to get a task done. But the reason it is such a compelling mechanic and also a very sad one is that uh, all of your accomplishments are fleeting and the game is so largely about how like you can't help everybody. Anytime you do a good deed or help a person and that person's life is fulfilled and the apocalypse is coming but that person thinks, oh, it's okay because I have been aided. This this child with a sword has come in and and helped me and rekindled my connection to my daughter in one instance or or um uh led a, a dying old man to his newborn son to ha- have one last experience with them all these very sweet saccharine moments um are are then completely erased these people yeah. you go back in time and then when you go back in time those connections that you have helped form uh now have never been and probably aren't going to happen again in that same three-day cycle. Uh, so all of your, all of your, all the ways you help, all the progress you make is ultimately futile. Like for instance, the, um, the dungeons in the game, which like in Zelda, the dungeons are a core mechanic of the game, uh, of, of all the games. Uh, whenever you complete a dungeon, it has great sweeping environmental effects on the region. So for instance, um, in the, uh, in uh, Woodfall, temple which is the first dungeon in the game it's takes it's uh it's centered in the middle of a swamp where all the waters have been poisoned and polluted and are highly toxic to the inhabitants after you beat woodfall 
um, it cleanses the waters and all the inhabitants of the region are thrilled again to have clean water. But then those three days are up. You got to go back to day one. You go back to the swamp, the water's poisoned again and everyone's miserable again. And you can't, you, you, you don't have time to go back and help them. Um, so while there is, is, while at the end of the game, when you've finally beaten it and completed it, it is implied that, yeah, everyone's better now. Every, the day has been saved. Everyone's good. The actual core, core mechanic of the game is all about helping people and then having to undo that help, basically. Um, okay, that's interesting. And the, the question that I want to ask is then why do you help people? as the game goes on like is that like tied into like what i gather is there's some kind of like grand uh progression that is happening like through all of these loops but um what you're describing seems like a lot of like you know like when you talk about like helping someone like make peace with the end and then undoing that it almost sounds like a side quest that's being undone so like yeah what like what um i guess what's motivating you to kind of like take on these these tasks that are ultimately uh you know transient in their uh, completion yeah so uh, so i am referring to both side quests and uh main main story uh progression simultaneously with, with the examples i'm listing um mm. but yeah there is always incentive for side quests the incentive is you get an item you get a piece of heart you get uh some rupees whatever it may be you, mm. you do you do get something out of it and so that is the incentive to actually still partake in the game itself um right. as far as the the core game is concerned uh the problem is the game is full of so much weird, vague, like like vagaries and mythos that it's really hard to like get into the actual ins and outs of the plots because <laughs> you sound like the ramblings of an insane person when you try to explain the game. <laughs> um, but uh, but when you finish each temple, yeah, well, yeah, and mm -hmm. when you when you finish each temple, uh, you basically are sent to another dimension where you meet one of four giants that have been banned from the land of Termina, like banished from the land of Termina by the sort of uh, complicated, but by their skewed relationship with the Skull Kid because of Majora's Mask's possession of the Skull Kid. So they've, they've been banished from Termina and you have to go, by doing each temple, you summon one of the four giants. And since these tr giants are mm -hmm. like alternate dimensional beings, they transcend time and space. Um, and okay, once okay. you summon all four of those giants, they're able to lift up the moon and keep the moon from plummeting into earth uh and okay, so okay. so that therein lies the like why you are still progressing even when you go back in time on a macro level you are progressing and you are still summoning these these sort of old gods as it were to help you um but on a micro level um you're only helping actual human beings temporarily uh and so mm. it it like breaks your heart when you think about like, oh, if you don't help X person during one three-day cycle, that person is just going to live out the rest of their, the very brief rest of their life in misery. Um, and even yeah. if you do help them, it's a short-term fix that is ultimately not going to last. Um, and it's, yeah, it, it is just a, it, but then on top of that, like the actual art direction of the game is phenomenal. It has a lot of really bizarre kabuki elements to it. Like even in the music itself, the music 
sounds like kabuki music for a lot of it um the whole i mean the whole system of masks in the game is deeply rooted in old kabuki theater and it is like it is so unlike the other zelda games because all other zelda games are yeah the aesthetics are wonderful the music's fantastic like that is a that is a a uh broad umbrella over pretty much the entire franchise but they're all more fundamentally classically fantasy like Mm -hmm. yeah there is sort of oddities and eccentricities that sort of make zelda its own thing but majora's mask is really the only one that feels very much like something of of another world like like, of something of a very specific corner of the imagination that that allowed it to be conceived it's it is just in in every sense it is something that is so such a daunting game and it's such a game that i completely understand why people are not into it my brother for instance loves ocarina of time and hates majora's mask because Mm -hmm. it is such a weirdly inaccessible game and is so not like a welcoming game based in its core like when you when you start up a zelda game and you're told you have a finite amount of time to get things done and also the imagery is kind of scary and the music is sort of gloomy and uh, uh, like, like it's, it, and the, the plot is really strange and surreal. It's not a welcoming game. It's not nearly as accessible as the rest of the franchise is, which is generally a lot more by the numbers, cut and dry hero's journey kind of story. Um, yeah. Majora's Mask is very much its own thing. Uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's something that like the older I get, the more and more I appreciate it for that reason. Yeah, and like a lot of what you're describing, like the stuff that's like really, I mean, all of it's piquing my interest, but like what I'm really hearing are like all of these bits and pieces of honestly a lot of my favorite games. So like the like the time loop structure uh, reminds me a lot of uh, Outer Wilds, which I think came out last year, which, you know, is has a very similar setup. The apocalypse is coming. It's coming in 22 minutes in Outer Wilds. And uh, you are trapped in a loop where you're going to like keep on dying to the supernova again and again until you figure out how to stop it. Uh, it seems like the the difference in Outer Wilds is a spoiler: you can't stop it in Outer mm-hmm. Wilds. Um, but the and, and like the 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 time limitation is there. It's uh, I mean just honestly like the giving players a limited amount of time to do things like making time matter is is something that I think is like so fundamental to making like um I think so fundamental to making like a really challenging and challenging I mean like thematically challenging game like uh like the the pathologic uh games pathologic and it's like remake slash sequel pathologic 2 or games that are you know very dear to my heart that are very much like you know about that those are games where you the intent is to demonstrate how you can't save everyone to kind of like you know make you this uh to thrust you into a role of hero that you in no way can live up to and how it does that is by giving you a limited amount of time to do everything and giving you too much to do in each in-game day and yeah like that's so what you are describing is like i feel like i can trace so many of the things that i love about like the about the games that I love to Majora's Mask, and yet I have never played this game. That seems like something I need to fix post-haste. Um, 
whenever I gain access to a Nintendo console, which might not be for a while. Hey, just use that, pop that dolphin emulator onto your computer. You can make, make it work. Um, yeah, it is. I, I think it is probably a game that has been hugely influential um, on a lot of, uh, on a lot of modern game designers. Uh, yeah, because it is such a far cry from anything like it. And like to its credit, Ocarina of Time, the reason it's such a successful game was because it was also such a far cry from anything like it. Those games are trendsetters for a reason. There's a reason it is one of the most successful franchises ever is because every time a new one comes out, it radically uh, furthers the genre in some way, shape, or form until it stopped doing that in the case of like Twilight Princess and then even more so Skyward Sword, which is why they had to completely reinvent the wheel with um, uh, Breath of the Wild. Uh, but for a while, it was a game that was all about uh, bringing bringing gaming as a whole forward. Um, and so Majora's Mask is so strange because it does it in so many less conventional means from other games in the franchise. It it is experimental. It's surreal. It's it's also um, another thing I forgot to mention. I, I very briefly touched on it, but one of the things I also really love about that game is it was also kind of one of my first uh, growing up. It's really sort of one of my first forays into like the worlds of the world of like horror and particularly psychological horror. It is <laughs> a it is a for what it is for a rated E children's game on a Nintendo console a very scary game uh it, not just in how it discusses death and and sort of the fragility of civilization um but also just in a lot of its imagery the moon with the big scary face on it is really scary looking the image of majora's mask is really scary looking there are there are characters you come into contact with that are are frightening there's the music and the atmosphere is often has a either senses of dread or like uh or like um paranoia or suspiria is also sort of a, a big theme in a lot of the game's music um it is a it is a sort of it's like an assault on the senses of a child a little bit <laughs> it is a very sort of intimidating game to sort of look at and i think it is a huge part of what like kind of shaped a lot of my taste in horror um <laughs> a huge part of my taste in horror is stuff like is pure, you know, kind of trash and junk foodiness, but also the, the, the part of my taste that, you know, influenced my love of things like silent Hill. Like it honestly, in a lot of ways, I would argue it kind of almost feels like, like baby's first silent Hill in a really sort of strange way. I feel like anyone who's played Majora's mask can kind of understand where I'm coming from with that though. Um, in terms of it's very sort of deeply psychological, uh, atmosphere and and use of kind of feelings of of dread and hopelessness um those that's a very prevalent theme throughout the game it's it's a weird game and it's not that it is it is both a very comforting game because i have such a fond nostalgic attachment to it and it is a game that shapes so much of who i am today and it's also a deeply not at all comfortable game because of how eerily relevant it feels to this current moment in, in time. But uh, I'm focusing more on the former and less on the latter <laughs> as much as I can as I play it so I can actually enjoy myself. Uh, that's fair. I mean, honestly, I feel like, uh, I, f I feel like things that deal with the creeping sense of dread, like that's kind of like, this is going to sound counterintuitive, but I feel like that's what I want from my escapist entertainment these days. I want like a, 
I want a working through of what I'm feeling rather than a complete distraction from what I'm feeling. So Majora's Mask seems like maybe a thing I should try out. Like definitely, maybe. Maybe it's a more therapeutic experience than I realize. Who's to say? You know what? I'll I'll say this. I'm more scared of a (laughs) giant possessed moon hurtling towards the earth in a matter of days than I am uh, COVID-19. So maybe, maybe it's a silver linings kind of thing. I'm deeply afraid of both, but I'm a little more afraid of the big evil moon. So we have of the two, if those are the two possible calamities, then yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. I think that's going to just about do it for us this week. Um, But uh, as always, a hoot and a holler um, and a real, and a real pleasure. So take care and stay safe, I suppose. Yep. Stay safe, everybody. All right. See you later.